listening to Metal Matters, a weekly Gimme Metal podcast. And I'm your host, Mike Hill. This week, Jay and I are going to dive into part one of a two-part ACDC special for the classic records portion of the show. Record number one, Highway to Hell. Record number two is going to be Back in Black. And uh, I think, in my opinion, this stands out as ACDC's finest work. And it also showcases uh, the talents of both singers. Yeah, and I mean, on top of that, I think those records were released within a, within a year of each other. Or, I mean, I mean, one was 79 and one was 80. I don't know if it was exactly within 12 months, but I mean, it was, you know, it was back to back, to back you know? Yeah, and, and we'll, we'll get into some of the uh, interesting aspects of that uh, since, you know, Bon Scott uh, died. And then within that year, they, they're, they, it's like they didn't even miss a beat by getting Brian Johnson on board and moving forward with their career. And uh, Malcolm and Angus Young, brothers, obviously, were the sort of founding members of the band. And uh, Malcolm, actually, he's another deceased member of the band, too. He died in uh, 2014. And um, so that's a, a sad aspect to the uh, Young Brothers' musical career. And uh, he was considered uh, the leader of the band, and apparently he was kind of the, the behind-the-scenes guy uh, bringing everything together. Uh, a large part of the band's vibe, I guess, came from Malcolm. And Angus was more of uh, the charismatic uh, guy out front playing the leads. You know, Angus is known for his schoolboy outfit and his uh, Ch- Chuck Berry-inspired uh, signature duck walk. Rolling Stone ranked him uh, number 24 in the 100 greatest guitarists of all time. I think personality has a lot to do with that. I mean, I love Angus Young, you know, and uh, like his approach to the blues, I think, was was definitely a unique take on uh, on guitar playing. You know, if you were to if you were to if you were to do the, a rating like that, a list of guitar players on straight riffs, I think he'd be a lot higher than twenty four. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, I mean, the, the, but but I, I do realize that Malcolm wrote a lot of, um, or at least a fair portion of the, the classic ACDC riffs as well. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, obviously the showmanship was. Um, was the number one thing with uh, with Angus? Of course, it's 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 impossible to think of ACDC without him. I mean, re- regardless of which version of the band you might prefer, whether it's with Bon, bon Scott or Brian Johnson, um, you know, Malcolm and Angus are the the consistency there. You know, Malcolm kind of holding it down in the back on the rhythm, and Angus out front, duck walking, soloing with the it's crazy schoolboy outfit and all that. You know. Yeah, exactly, man. Do you remember that band Malachite in Boston? You're familiar with them? Yeah, I, I yeah, I remember the name. I can't remember much about them. I remember uh, there was kind of two eras of that band. One where they were like this, like super intense, uh, you know, very scary version of the band, and this lady was the bassist and uh, singer in the band, and she had like a really intense, uh, confrontational kind of energy. This kind of brooding, scary. Uh, you know, with the dark eyeliner and, and the kind of scowling face. You know, I can't remember her name. But one day I went into Nuggets and uh, she was, they would set up a table outside and she was selling records. And I had a conversation with her about ACDC and uh, completely deadpan with very deliberate 
intensity, she told me that Angus Young was the greatest guitar player in rock and roll. Take it, take it however way you want. Yeah. 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 So their debut album came out in 75. That was high voltage. And, um, like a lot of bands, they had some lineup changes and, uh, you know, the band stabilizing around the brothers and, uh, Bon Scott was not the original singer in the band. Right. Yeah. 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 Bon Scott born Ronald Belford Scott, like the young brothers was Scottish by birth. I don't know if you knew that or not. Yeah. All three yeah. of them were, uh, were carpet baggers to Melbourne. Australia. <laughs> bon Scott uh, was played in a bunch of different bands around Melbourne. He ended up replacing Dave Evans, the original singer, in set round 74. Actually, Bon Scott saw ACDC opening for Lou Reed in Adelaide. Isn't that kind of a cool bill? That's interesting. I, I forgot that the original singer was Dave Evans because I remember the he wasn't the original bass player, but the bass player prior to Cliff Williams um, um was Mar a guy named Mark Evans, who I think the first four, four, three or four uh, ACDC records, um, uh, he and Cliff Williams came in Outreach, which is the album before Highway to Hell. So I, Dave Evans, Mark Evans, they were not related. Um, but uh, Mark Evans wrote a book uh, a few years ago, 10 yeah. years ago maybe, um, that was uh, pretty uh, yeah, it was pretty good, uh, like it, it, enlightening about sort of the early years of ACDC. I actually have that book. I think uh, Bazillion Points put it out, right? I think. Is that, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I have not read it yet. It's sitting on my bookshelf currently, but uh, it's on it's on my pile of uh, rock and roll books to read for sure, because I'm specifically interested in those early years, because I feel like that's where all the good stories are, you know? Yeah, and that book is great. What I remember most vividly is funny. Uh, it kind of opens with him as a teenager before he's even involved in the band. And uh, it basically talks about his first sexual experience where he like bangs this older woman uh, from his apartment building in Australia. Um, he bangs her like in the laundry room of, <laughs> of, 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 of the apartment building. And that's like his first, it was just a very, for a guy who like ended up in ACDC, it was just a very ACDC like kind of move you know so I, I i got a kick out of it <laughs> so bon scott uh from he's my favorite acdc singer i just gotta go put it out there right right away in the beginning and that's not to say i don't love brian johnson but yeah. bon scott kind of encapsulates yeah. like the pure essence of like that rock and roll like hard living uh, you know, unfortunately, maybe living a little too hard and just like the rawness that I love about rock music. I think Bon Scott just kind of just brings it all to the table. You know, he's my favorite ACDC singer. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's uh, I mean, the guy was like just oozed charisma and personality, you know, and just very like that kind of like he did. He, he did the thing so well, man, where he had that sort of like macho that bravado thing, but he did it with like kind of a wink. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like he knew, he knew exactly what he was doing. You know what I mean? Like he'd take the shirt off and he's there, you know, and it's a very kind of like macho look that he had, but he was kind of like winking at you at the same time. And then of course, you know, he famously appeared on top of the pops, like in drag or whatever, kind of like undercutting the whole image, um, which, which, uh, you know, I, I just thought he was like a, a He's like the kind of guy that, you know, I, I would have loved to have had the opportunity 
to, you know, have a drink and, 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 and do an interview with Bon Scott. You know what I mean? I mean, what, what a great guy to like, to just, just even hang out with for a little while. It just seems, he just seems so Yeah, cool. that's kind of the biggest tragedy out of this whole thing is, I mean, he, he really was, I mean, now looking back, everyone can listen to ACDC. They can, they can pick up any of the early records anywhere, but in the late seventies, they were like pretty much unknown in the United States. And, um, the fact that, that Bon Scott had his entire career before actually making it to the States, like in any real way is, uh, is so to me is like yeah. so sad, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Like, like, you know, when I was kind of doing research for, you know, this podcast, we're getting ready to talk to you. I read this great article that came out in classic rock about highway to hell. It came out, uh, April last year. Um, and, uh, and so the 40th anniversary of Highway Hell. And the, the, the article basically ends with, you know, ACDC are on tour in the States, open, opening for Ted Nugent on the Highway to Hell tour. Um, and they're playing Madison Square Garden. And, uh, and Bon Scott's backstage and he tells the journalist, you know, you know, you watch out. He's like, you know, next time we're here, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be selling out this place. We'll be the headline of selling it out, which they did do. But Bon, you know, Bond wasn't with them. Yeah, you know? it's, it's stuff like that, that, you know, the, the decades and all the time kind of, I guess, makes people a little bit more, a little callous to some of the situations. But, uh, you know, the last like uh, week or so, I've been kind of diving into the old catalog and uh, doing all this reading and, you know, trying to find information online and just really appreciating uh, the legacy that he left behind. So Highway to Hell actually has three different release dates worldwide. Uh, first, it comes out in Europe on July 27th, 1979. Uh, it comes out in the States a week later on August 3rd. And then oddly, uh, it's like two, two months later, uh, three months later, uh, November 8th in their native Australia, oddly enough. Um, so... Um, yeah, three. That's what I could gather. Three, three different release dates for Highway to Hell. Wow, that's uh, that's that. That was a thing yeah. back. I feel like in the, in those days where things kind of came out like in uh, you know, different like stages. You know. Yeah, I wonder if they like staggered it like that. I mean, because I mean, movies were like that at one point too, right? Because they would like, you know, they would kind of test it out, and, and if they, when it was successful, they would expand it, sort of a thing. Um, I guess it still happens now, like they'll release stuff. I mean, you know, back when people could still go to the movies, um, you know, they release stuff in New York and L.A. and then it goes, you know, countrywide two weeks later or whatever, you know. This record was the first record to be produced by uh, Mutt Lang, Robert John Lang, a.k.a. Mutt Lang, who, in, in my opinion, was uh, a pretty huge architect in their sound and I remember there was a period of time when I was a kid, I would like, I kind of noticed that they had, they had a very distinct sound ACDC, you know, and I think that sound might have yeah. been later emulated by, by like Rick Rubin. And, and if you listen to, you know, the Danzig records and, uh, you know, even, even that cult electric record that Rick Rubin did, there's like a very, uh, you know, a very, a very deliberate reference to some of the work that Mutt Lang did with the band, I think. There's there's an interview that came out a few years ago with John Christ from Danzig, and he talks about recording the first Danzig record. And basically, he showed up to the studio, and every day Rick Rubin was there blasting Back yeah. in Black, like that was the 
that was the template for the first Danzig record. Yeah, totally. And, and uh, you know, I mean, we, we'll talk about this obviously in the next episode, but Back in Black was the first ACDC record I heard. Yeah, and then, you know, it's interesting because Def Leppard went out as sort of er- early openers, uh, as openers for, um, for ACDC on a tour. And, uh, you know, Joe Elliott tells a story of, you know, being tells how impressed he was with seeing ACDC every night, you know, as a young man in a band. And of course, you know, Mutt Lang then went on to kind of produce all the, you know, mega diamond selling Def Leppard albums, you know, kind of taking the techniques that he used with ACDC and and and, and, the, and the, the, how the technology had advanced since then and kind of taking that uh, you know, philosophy to its extreme, which you later heard on like Def Leppard's Hysteria, yeah. you know. Well, I would even say uh, High and Dry by Def Leppard has a very ACDC like vibe to it. Oh, you know, absolutely. And, and yeah. uh, it's funny. I mean, I remember getting into Def Leppard uh, several years, you know, I, I think I was still in high school when I heard them, but but that was, um, I'd, I'd already been listening to ACDC since I was like, I don't know, like 12 years old or something. And when I first heard Def Leppard, I was like, man, this is a lot like ACDC. It has that same kind of like, you know, four on the floor, like simple, stripped down, kind of like hard rock vibe. But then with with Leopard, they were just like a little bit more, like the songs had a little bit more co- complexity to the arrangements. Like there were some more bridges and, and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And a little, a little more, mel- obviously more melody in the vocals, and you know, I, I think image-wise, there was pretty oh, stark yeah, yeah, difference. Yeah. <laughs> Def Leppard, Pretty Boys, and the ACDC were definitely yeah. not Pretty Boys. You know, Mutt Lang actually went on to produce some stuff that uh, that you might not be aware of. Uh, <laughs> I mean, of course, he did Foreigner Four, yeah. which is uh, you know, it's another big, big yeah. rock and roll record, hard rock record. He did uh, Heartbeat City for yeah. the Cars. And uh, okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, and also uh, Michael Bolton's "The One Thing." <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that 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 doesn't surprise me when we know when you go when you go on to consider who Mutt Lang eventually uh, married. So, um, you know, uh, he is in some circles referred to as Mister Shania Twain. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny when I found out that he did a uh, John Michael Bolton record, I was like, "Huh, I wonder if I should check that record out, man. I wonder if it's any good." <laughs> <laughs> well, interestingly, Michael Bolton was a kind of a metal singer before he did all his kind of drivel that he went really? on to do. Really, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, I think there's a record out that where it's kind of like more like it's Queensryche. I can see that. You know? I guess. That that's him. And I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's funny because I think um, so. The way that that Mutt Lang came into the picture for Highway to Hell was um, the label wants uh you know atlantic basically they want um they want something that's commercial they want a radio song from acdc and and they feel that um you know the guy they have you know they have led atlantic records has led zeppelin on their roster among other you know things but led zeppelin's like the big hard rock band of this era you know uh still although they're kind of by this point they're kind of on the way out but um uh um, they're still huge in 78, 79 when this was done. So, um, let, they're like, Eddie Kramer had worked with, um, Led Zeppelin. He'd worked with Jimi Hendrix. They're like, let's get Eddie Kramer in to do this 
new ACDC record, which the brothers first dismissed the idea out of hand because they were very loyal to, you know, the, the production team that had done the first five ACDC records were, with their older brother, George, George Young, and his, uh, you know, production partner, Harry Vanda. Harry Vanda and George Young were in a popular Australian band called the Easy Beats uh, in the 60s. Um, who were quite popular in the UK and Australia and parts of Europe. Um, and they went into production. And so they did all the, their younger brothers' ACDC records. So, and they worked pretty well, you know, but so they, they kind of begrudgingly agreed to go with Eddie Kramer. And for whatever reason, they end up in Criteria Studios in Miami. Um, and they're working with Eddie Kramer and, uh, it's not going well. He suggests they cover like some Spencer Davis tune and Angus Young totally pissed off. Um, calls his manager, calls their manager at the time, Michael Browning, um, and says, look, do what you got to do, but we, we, we don't want to work with this guy. Um, hangs up the phone. And then, and then, so they turn around right after that phone call, they turn around, they tell Kramer to take a day off <laughs> and, they, and they go into the studio anyway. And they, with the engineer, and they lay down six songs. Uh, now, Michael Browning, their manager, happened to be in New York City sharing an apartment with Mutt Lang. And Mutt Lang had kind of had a big hit with a Boomtown Rat song, but I can't no, remember the name of it. Tell me why I don't like Mondays, um, maybe? That's like their huge hit. No, I know I would know it if you said it, but, but, but it was, it, he had a big hit, and it was kind of the first big single that he produced. So he's kind of like, you know, was, was on the radar of all these, of, of all the big labels, you know, because of this Boomtown Rat song. So Michael Browning, you know, after he gets this call from Angus Young, Eddie Kramer's not working out, get him out of here. So, you know, he's, he's rooming with, with Mutt Lang. So he calls the label and he's like, look, Eddie Kramer's not working out, but I happen to know this guy, I, I, Mutt Lang, you, you've heard of him, he just had a big hit with Boomtown Rats. The label agrees and ACDC agrees, but now ACDC, there's a, ACDC basically says later if they had no, ACDC didn't know about the Boomtown Rats connection. And they say if they had, they would have never let Mutt Lang in the room. They hated the Boomtown Rats. Angus Young said that. He's like, oh yeah, if we had known about the Boomtown Rats thing, we would have never worked with Mutt Lang. But they didn't know. So it worked out. And then, you know, um, here we are. They 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 end up they end up working with Mutt Lang. And oddly enough, Michael Browning, their manager at the time, shortly after this episode, they fire Michael Browning. ACDC fires Michael Browning and replace him with Peter Mensch, um, who would uh, later go on to manage uh, Metallica, among yeah, the, many others. The Nuge. So. I think he managed the Nuge and also yeah. Aerosmith. Yeah, he managed too. the Nuge at the time. Yeah, yeah, he made yeah, he managed them at the time, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, and then, you know, I, I mean, you take it from here. They, they kind of, they, 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 oh, so the, the six songs they recorded with the engineer, the day they told Kramer to take the day off, they send those to Lang so he can get like the idea of what they're working with. And then they kind of, they leave Miami, they, they fuck off back to London and, uh, they start working with, uh, Mutt Lang at Roundhouse Studios in London in March 79. They start there. I love that uh, aspect to the story where they were like, oh, yeah, had we known about him working with the Boomtown Rats, we would have never worked with him. You know, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. It's like, that's what, see, that's yeah. that's the kind of stuff that I, I expect from ACDC, and that's why, like, like I, I have such a, um, 
like a fondness for them, just like that. that. Like they're like guys that like you can relate to, you know, for better or for worse. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Maybe maybe not open yeah. to certain yeah. things that might be good for them just because they have their biases against like things like the Boomtown Rats. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah it's just it's cool, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, so now no. all the records no. prior to this were you know probably closer to the way like. You know, you or I would make a record. We have like two weeks to do something, and you go in there. You you just kind of put it all together. You go for it, and it's done. You know, and in this time around with Mutt right. Lang, they had like three months to make a record. So it was well. You know, I saw that there's, there's some conflicting information about that. I I also first stumbled across that that they said this record took way longer, three months as opposed to three weeks which is like the longest they've ever done before. But there seems to be some, there's some indication that this record may have been done. According to the classic rock story, this record, if you discount the Kramer time, uh, okay. it was only only three weeks, it was only three weeks okay. with Mutt Lang in London. Hmm, interesting. That's according to classic rock. That's according to classic rock. So I, I, so there's, and you know, as we talk, there's going to be a few things where I've got two, I've, I've, I've got two different sources that say, different information so it's hard to know what's going like rely like good sources so it's kind of hard to know you know um with some of this stuff so apparently mutt lang was also a uh like vocals were his thing apparently which uh yeah he, you know that yeah. that sort of indicates why him and michael bolton had a relationship later i guess you know <laughs> yeah yeah, so apparently the story I didn't I didn't know this prior to you know us deciding to talk about this record. Uh, he did tons of the backups on on the whole Highway to Hell album, and apparently they had to because his voice is so distinctive. Uh, he had to basically stand on the other side of the room, uh, like a, a far away from the microphone, as a, like literally backing vocals, <laughs> um, uh, because I guess his voice is really um, um, distinctive. So it does interesting. Wow. I, I didn't I didn't realize that. But uh but this was like kind of a breakthrough for Bron Scott too, because at this stage of the game he had a, a guy who really knew what he was doing kind of coaching him through the vocals, you know, and, and um you know, demanding multiple takes, you know, kinda going over his, his performances with a fine tooth comb and uh you know, just kinda producing. Apparently there was initially some resistance to Mutt Lang as well. Uh, because he started coaching Bon Scott in the vocal booth, as you mentioned. He even sort of walked Angus Young through the solo for Highway to Hell, like telling them what to play. And at first, these guys, the ACDC guys were like, fuck you. Like, what do you think you're doing? Like, they, they hated that, being told what to do. But when they realized that Mutt Lang, like, knew, first of all, wasn't asking them to do anything that he couldn't do himself. Like, he... He would sing Bon Scott's line back to him and say, do it like this. And it, and it would be good. And so they were kind of like, oh. And <laughs> like the same thing with the, 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 highway to, the Highway to Hell solo, Angus Young, he basically told Angus Young to sit down. I'll tell you what to play. And Angus Young was like, what? Like, fuck you. So Angus Young kind of work had the basic structure. And, and, and Mel Lang would be like, OK, hold it here. Go to here. Like pointing to the fretboard, literally. And, uh, and this is all coming from... Uh, all these stories come from ACDC's tour manager, who was in the, Ian Jeffrey, who was in the studio with them and witnessed all this. Um, he and uh, 
And so they, they resisted all that. But then, you know, the, the this highway, the highway solo was so brilliant that they kind of couldn't, they kind of stopped arguing with the guy. You know what I mean? That, that makes sense uh, because, you and, know, the band, they, this is like, the, you know, they've done yeah. like five records. They've been together for almost, you know, like 10, almost 10 years at that point, like seven years, eight years. And um, yeah. kind of been through it all, like all the ups and downs, you know, the, the brutal, brutal touring, the pub shows, all that. And they probably had had this attitude about, well, who the hell is this guy to tell us how to write our own songs? Yeah, exactly. And but then, then so then when, when when he was kind of proving to them that he could, that not only knew what he was doing, but he could actually do it himself. Um, uh, and they also, what they really appreciated, and, and, and this was kind of one of the problems with Kramer, uh, they, Mutt Lang wanted to get, wanted to get, a, get in there and work every day, like 15 hour days or whatever, you know what I mean? And, they, and ACDC liked that. They, they, they wanted to work. And Kramer, I think, had it seemed like Kramer had a more sort of like um, laid back, uh, laid back attitude about things that they didn't like, they didn't appreciate very much. So that that, that was the that's other awesome. I, I like uh, I like I like the story like that, man. It's like these. That, it just reinforces yeah, yeah, my yeah. my impression of what this band was all about. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Get in, get in, take care of business, and get out. Yeah. The record clocks in at forty-one minutes and forty seconds, which was kind of long for that period of time, really. I mean, most records, I think, most LPs in that that era were like 35 minutes, 40 minutes, uh, 35, 30 minutes, something like that. So uh, it was on the long side. Yeah. You know, and, uh, yeah. You know, this yeah. was uh, would, would end up being yeah. Bon Scott's uh, last record with the band. Uh, the Angus and Malcolm, both on guitar and lead guitar. Cliff Williams, bass and backing vocals, and... Um, Phil Rudd, another uh, dependable guy on drums. He was on a lot of the ACDC records. I, I believe Phil Rudd was the actually only native Australian actually in the band. C Cliff Williams was English. Uh, Cliff Williams is English, is English. And as we pointed out, the Young Brothers and, and, and Bon Scott are Scottish technically, even though they, they grew up in, in Australia. Yeah. You go through the tracks on Highway to Hell. Um, there's some some of the best songs that ACDC ever wrote, some, and some and obviously some of the most well known are on this record. Um, the, the number one, you know, the prime suspect being the title track and the and the lead off track, Highway to Hell, um, which is you know it's basically about uh, uh, ACDC being on the road for like four years straight uh, prior to this record. Um, uh, Interestingly, uh, Atlantic, uh, their, their, their record label in the States, uh, did, not, did not like the idea of calling um, the album Highway to Hell because of the, um, the, the Christian element here in um, America. But what was interesting about that is that's something that Angus Young says the band did never even consider because apparently, and I didn't know this, in Australia, at least at the time, um, the, the sort of Christian element was a very... Uh, small very a much smaller uh, almost niche part of society um and they were kind of openly referred to as bible thumpers and not taken very seriously and so the idea that this might somehow be offensive never even occurred to acdc um uh but uh so the songs about being on the tour and but specifically it's a reference to the canning highway in australia that's that's the highway to hell and it connects perth uh, the, the Perth uh, Quinana, I think that's how you pronounce that, freeway to a port in Fremantle. Um, what's interesting about that is Fremantle there is now has a statue oh, of Bon great, Scott. Uh, 
And this whole stretch of Canning Highway was home to many of uh, Bon Scott's favorite pubs, uh, including uh, one in particular called the Raffles Hotel, and which was named after a, an even more famous hotel in Singapore. Um, but the Raffles Hotel in Australia, uh, it features one of the first beer gardens that was ever built in Australia. It's this Raffles Hotel, and it was one of Bon Scott's favorites. Um, uh, what I did not... I, I, now, you know, Highway to Hell, everybody knows the song. Even if you're not an ACDC fan, you know the song. So I, I had assumed that this was obviously like a heavily covered song. But what I did not realize is that some of the people who have covered it that, that kind of surprised me. Um, Bruce Springsteen has covered oh. this song. Uh, Fish, Fish, Fish played it for like 15 years uh, at their shows. Uh, Maroon 5 <laughs> has covered it. Billy Joel has covered Highway to Hell. Billy Joel. And um, and this is a kind of a cool one. Tiny, Tiny Tim. Tim. Tiny Tim has covered Highway to Hell. Wow. Tiny Tim has covered Highway to Hell. Yeah, I haven't heard it, but yeah. Uh, and so, um, okay, this is one of those things where there's, there's conf- I have come up with conflicting sources about, and, and, and about who came up with the riff. Uh, the opening riff of Highway, of Highway to Hell, the classic riff, um, which is, which is incidentally is, very similar uh, to All Right Now by Free. Um, most people know that riff as well. Um, so the band came up with the, so- with the song during that original studio session in Miami with, with, with Eddie Kramer. In one version, Angus came up with the riff, and Malcolm actually sat down at the drums and came up with the beat. Um, in another version, it's Malcolm who came up with the riff. Um, but aside, as a side story, they were, so they recorded it with, uh, with, um, you know, the engineer, I, I think they might've done this on one of the, the, the day they told Kramer to take the day off so they could get their shit together or whatever. Um, I don't know, I don't know that part for sure, but anyway, apparently a studio employee, they made a tape of it. A studio employee took the tape home for some reason, the only existing oh, copy by the way. And his kid like unraveled the tape. Oh shit! But the employee brings it back to the studio, and apparently Bon Scott was had like an uncanny <laughs> talent for like repairing <laughs> tapes, and he put and he was able to put it back together so they didn't lose the song. Dude, that's like uh, so that that that's <laughs> that story is like there's like some unseen hand guiding guiding these guys forward, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and so, and then one last thing I want to mention, it's funny because, you know, the, I guess some, you know, a journal, a journalist, uh, so Angus does a interview with guitar world in 93, you know, 14 years later after the record comes out and the, the journalist asks him about the, the origin of the highway to hell title and Angus, you know, all these other things I mentioned have come out before, I think at this point, but Angus basically says, when when you're sleeping with the singer's socks two inches from your nose, that's pretty close yeah. to hell. <laughs> um, well, girls got a rhythm is next. Um, I I don't I don't have any like I couldn't find any good stories about this, but I mean to me this song is like a pretty. This was released as a single. This was the the second single released. Uh, Highway to Hell was released first, then Girls Got Rhythm, and then Touch Too Much was the the final single. And so the next one is Walk All Over You, which, you know, I, li- listening back, this to me is like the great unheralded track 
of this record. I mean, I, I feel like this could have easily been a fourth single. Um, it's so catchy and it's got that like call and response sort of um, chorus. I rarely see this track like get any props. I mean, I think it's one of the I think it's one of ACDC's best songs, really. And it's and it's like I, I feel like you don't even hear ACDC fans talk about it a lot. You know, yeah, that's great. I like uh, some pretty, pretty happening riffs in this one, too, for sure. And so next was the third single, Touch Too Much, which is my my personal favorite. Um, and I found out it's also apparently Axl Rose's favorite and which, which he told them when he later joined the band uh, to replace Brian Johnson, you know, whatever it was, two years ago or something. Um, uh, ACDC performed it on Top of the Pops 12 days before Bond's wow. death. Um, yeah, so it was uh, technically, I, I believe, I, I'm not, someone out there might know, but I think technically that was his last public performance was this song. Um, now, there's a demo version of this song on the bonfire box set which yeah i got pretty that cool, man. that's great yeah. but it, yeah yeah and it, but it's like it's almost a completely yeah. different song uh and it's interesting because you know the i prefer I'm much i mean i totally understand why they revamped it I mean, the version on this album is so much better i think um first of all the demo version goes on forever it's like six and a half minutes long um and it doesn't have the same impact and also, it's interesting that the 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 the, uh, the spirit of the lyric "touch too much" is is um, I think he uses it once in the in the final version, but in the demo version, it's much more an emphasis on she had a touch too much, like to drink, ah, sort of a thing. So the context where, changes. Where in yeah. where yeah, and in the final version, it's obviously she's getting handsy, <laughs> you know. Um, um, but he does kind of, sp I think in one of the early, uh, courses he mentions, you know, he does use it in that same context of too much to drink, but then the emphasis becomes, um, you know, she's getting handsy. Um, so anyway, that's, it. uh, that was kind of an interesting little, uh, thing, but I love, I love that song. It, it might be my favorite ACDC song of, of, of all of them. All. Well, that also, uh, speaks to the fact that, uh, you know, the producer had his, uh, input probably cause that's, you know, the whole move was to, to make songs that would potentially get some airplay. And uh, Touch Too Much is yeah. one of the more sassy songs on the record. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can almost hear, right, yeah, you can hear the sort of the production happening when you listen to, like, the demo version and the final version. You can, like, hear Mutt <laughs> working, you know? Um, yeah. Um, so beating around the bush is next, which obviously is a you know a, a double entendre uh, city, uh, which you know it, it's much like girls like girls got rhythm. There's like kind of no, there's there's no really hiding what this is about. Um, now, interestingly, uh, Phil Sutcliffe, who's a journalist for Sounds, uh, he pointed it out that the that the opening riff of this song, and I would have never known this unless I read this, that the opening riff of Beating Around the Bush is. So he, he said it was suspiciously similar to that of a Fleetwood Mac song called Oh Well. Um, I went back and listened to that Fleetwood Mac song, and it is not suspiciously similar. It is identical. Is it? Is it the, and the blues rock version not, of uh, Fleetwood Mac or like the later? I don't know that song. Yes. And so that's, the, so that's the interesting thing. This is Peter Green's Fleetwood uh -huh. Mac, which which tells me 
it would not be now to me the idea of Angus Young sitting around and listening to like '80s soft rock Fleetwood Mac or late '70s Fleetwood Mac is probably not a thing. But Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac, I bet he listened to that. It does not seem sound crazy to me that Angus Young was not familiar with that song. All right, so side two, uh, we got shot down in flames. Yeah, it's a does a great great track, and it's and it's um, it's also I like the self and cheek aspect of it. It's not like a um, it's not the conquering sexual song. It's like, oh, like, yeah, like I got denied. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they don't always work out my way. Like, you know what I mean? I, so I kind of like that they do yeah. that too, you know? Get It Hot is next. Uh, and I, it's not, this is not one of my favorites, but I, but I came across something where apparently there's a lyric in Get It Hot where Bon Scott is um, taking a shot at Barry Manilow. Barry Manilow, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I want to kind of go back and look into that, but um, I don't know, maybe someone <laughs> listening knows what I'm talking about. Um, uh, if You Want Blood, You've Got is next, which is interesting because it was the title of the live album they had put out previously to this. So it's, it's interesting they wrote the song after the fact. Um, and the origin comes, uh, the, the origin of the title is, um, so ACDC plays... The big, uh, you know, this was a famous festival that happened in Oakland, and this, uh, the Day on the Green Festival, um, everyone's seen the Metallica footage from the 80s, uh, the early 80s, but this was in 78, ACDC played, uh, the year before Highway to Hell came out, and uh, a journalist asked Bon Scott um, what, uh, you know, this before they played, asked him what they could expect that day from ACDC. A lot of people in the States weren't necessarily familiar with ACDC at this point. Um, and Bon Scott told him, well, you can expect <laughs> blood. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, oddly enough, and this again uh, goes back to what I read in Classic Rock Magazine, uh, they apparently um, rarely played the song live. It seems like so, such a banger that you'd want um, to play that live. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, Classic Rock says uh, no, they didn't. Mm. So... Um, Love Hungry Man is notable for um, saying, at one point, Angus was saying that this is the worst song he's ever written. <laughs> Interesting. I, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I think much later in their career, he might have written some worse songs than this, though, honestly. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm not, you know what? I should go, I don't know what, I don't know at what point in his career he said that <laughs> but at one point uh at one point he considered that the worst song um that he'd ever written um and then of course i mean we're, when we get into all right so night prowler obviously there's a lot going on here so i'll try to keep it brief but um this is very much in the tradition of it's a closing track and it's very much in the tradition of like these sort of ac these slow blues rockers that uh, acdc would do like the jack and um, gone shooting, and um, so it was the. I want to say it was the flip side because I had this on forty five. So I want to say it was the flip side to Highway to Hell. Girls got a rhythm, not touched too much, but it was one of the first two singles. Nike probably was on the flip. Um, so years later, you know, six years later. After, you know, and that song kind of, not much was made of that song at the time this record came out, but six years later in 85, serial killer Richard Ramirez 
is, uh, you know, arrested in Los Angeles. Uh, and it, it, he had been calling himself the night, pro, the night stalker. Uh, and he was an ACDC fan, a self-professed ACDC fan. Uh, apparently he was wearing an ACDC shirt when he was arrested. And apparently he even left an ACDC like ball cap at a crime scene. <laughs> so, uh, he had 14 victims. Ultimately he was charged and convicted 13 counts of murder. This is, uh, this is what brought, obviously this is the thing. This was brought the protesters out to ACDC shows. And uh, that lasted for a little while, not too long, but they had a couple of years of protesters. And this was from Richard Ramirez and Night Prowler. And it was a song which I don't even know if this was a song they played live very often or, I mean, Richard Ramirez made this song famous. It's much like, much like, uh, you know, Walk All Over You. I think this would have been like just one of these unheralded tracks of the record. But, um, you know, the way it became prominent was through Richard Ramirez, a serial killer. Uh, and it's a one, one final note here. Um, the song and the record ends, and this is the last words Bon Scott is saying on any, on any ACDC record. He quotes uh, Robin Williams from Morgan Mindy, the Nanu Nanu bit. That's how the record ends, and that's the last time we hear Bon Scott's voice on a... Um, on an ACDC record, and which becomes, becomes even more interesting years and years later, you know, when we know what happened with yeah. Robin Williams. Um, so uh, kind of a thing that kind of could be at the time dismissed as like a goofy little throwaway thing um, kind of has this kind of gains these ominous overtones. You know, even at a young age, I, I was like pretty bummed out by it discovering that this guy had, had, you know, passed away like that. And, uh, you know, I, I really dug his lyrics. I mean, you know, you're a kid and you're, you're just starting to feel like rebellious. And he, he was like, I guess, one of the first rock singers. I mean, I loved Robert Plant. I loved Ozzy, you know, and, but, but Bon Scott was like a very street level guy. You know, he was talking about stuff that you could relate to in his lyrics. It wasn't about like, uh, you know, the piper calling you or anything like that, or there was, you know, no, no wizards or dragons in his, yeah. in his lyrics. They were just about like fighting and, you know, chicks and getting drunk and shit right. like that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, having drinks on, you know, having drinks, yeah, totally. and, you know, getting in fist fights, you know, you know, and I'm like a kid, you know, I got, yeah. I got, I'm just starting to figure out that there's even this thing out there like this that exists. And it's like, you know, I, now, nowadays, yeah. you know, I find out about stuff like date, you know, hours after it happens, you know, with the internet and Twitter mm -hmm. and all this other stuff, you know, you find out about people dying and all these like other things, all this news cycles or by the hour. But back then it might take you a couple of years to figure out what the hell's going on with some of these pants. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're like, you know, you're waiting for the next issue of circus or, um, you know, uh, 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 hit parader or something to kind of like get any sort of like to glean any little scrap of information about these bands, you yeah, know, you know, also, and this is like just another, another personal thing too, is, um, I feel like Bond Scott and, and well, ACDC in general were the kind of the harbingers of this, uh, era or a tradition of great Australian rock bands, 
you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, there were definitely, I mean, there was like the easy beat, easy beats in the sixties, but like ACDC were kind of like the beginning of this tradition of hard rocking Australians. And, uh, and that, you know, that trajectory, I, I, in my opinion, would include even like the bad seeds and the birthday party, uh, cosmic psychos, um, beasts of bourbon, um, you know, tons of like cool, like Australian bands. And like I mentioned that band beasts of bourbon, they actually, um, covered that song ride on that was uh, off of uh, dirty deeds done dirt cheap. And okay. yeah, they just, I feel like they were like inspirational, just they had there was like an Australian kind of thing that happened after ACDC. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, I couldn't say this for a fact, but I, I could, I would even go as, to say, as far as to say that ACDC made me aware of Australia. Like I, I had maybe never considered. I mean, you're out like you, you know, I discovered them when I was like a child, so I was maybe never even aware of the continent of Australia before like ACDC made me like they made me aware of this entire continent that I had never really crossed my mind before, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking the same thing actually, when you said that, because you know, when you're, when I'm a, when you're a kid, you think of like American rock bands. Okay. you think I, I assumed right. everyone yeah. was American, like black Sabbath. I, I figured they were from like, you know, California or something like that. And like, you know, Zeppelin right. was right. from Jersey yeah. or something, you know? And then you, you, you find yeah. out that these guys are from England and then you're like, Oh wow. Like, this right. stuff goes on in other countries and then you find out about other right. bands like yeah. crocus who are from switzerland you know acdc i mean this right. is a different yeah, yeah. Know, crocus is obviously a different era but i mean i i wasn't listening to hard rock in 1973 you know what i mean but but the uh you know scorpions <laughs> from germany you know acdc from from uh, australia and you're like wow this is like a a global thing that happens and um yeah, you know, as a kid, that was kind of like a heavy moment for me, you know, and that's, you know, I guess like talking about ACDC brings me back to that time when, when everything was like new and exciting and you're learning about things. And, you know, when, when I found out that they had all these records out before Back in Black, I was like totally ecstatic by that. You know, one day, probably after they'd signed that licensing deal, <laughs> I go down to the, to the yeah. one of the two record stores that were within... 30 miles where I lived and uh, I went I went into the, the rock a section and found like a bunch of these you know fucking ACDC records so that was pretty cool yeah no I mean I remember having those kinds of discoveries too when I was a kid we were like you know this band which is like brand new to you like you've just heard them for the first time and their record may even be like the current new record but then you're just hearing for the first time and you go and you have that experience where you're either reading a magazine, you go to records, and you're like, oh, they have like six records before, before this that I can yeah. get into now. Yep. You know what I mean? And that was, I, was, I mean, you know, it was always so cool. Yeah, you know, and, and when, they, when they hit the States, it was like, I mean, I can tell you this from firsthand because I'm you know, a little bit older than you, Jay. But uh, I remember being a kid and driving through my town or walking through my town and doing whatever. And I have this very, very vivid memory of uh, a guy driving by in some kind of muscle car cranking uh, TNT off of high voltage. Not, you know, not the record we're talking about, but they were like yeah. that much of like, um, they had that much of an impact, you know? And I, and I was like, in a, you know, I grew up in, in a, 
a suburban town like north of the city and you know i was no no one was really that cool in my town but uh but acdc was like a thing like they were they were a force in the early 80s yeah and it was yeah. it was, it was pretty cool you know absolutely, absolutely man yeah so bon scott we touched on him passing away and uh which is uh totally a tragedy because you know you figure a band releases this great record it's uh, their first album to, to break into the States. You know, the U.S. Top 100, it topped out at number 17. And uh, that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty heavy duty if you think about these guys. You know, they just come to the States like once with Bon Scott to support this. And, uh, and that, was, that was like, the sky's the limit at this point. You know what I mean? And then uh, on February yeah. 18th, yeah. Uh, Bon Scott uh, passed away. 1980 february 18th and um and that was it you know there's there's tons of books and writing and i think there's even some sort of drama and like conspiracies around his death which uh i don't think we really need to go right. into all that stuff yeah. but um but yeah you could people yeah. can research it them on their own i don't want to get all depressing yeah you know? yeah yeah i mean the short the short version is uh you know there are people who claim that it was a heroin overdose not not um not necessarily just it was a John Bonham situation where he, you know, choked on his own vomit from drinking too much or much or whatever. Um, but I believe, if I remember correctly, the coroner's report said death by misadventure. Obviously, this happened in England. So uh, <laughs> that's like that's yeah. like a very English way of saying. <laughs> yeah, horrible. I mean, the guy's 33 years old, just put out the biggest record of his band's career. He's been working his ass off the whole band been working their ass off. They break into America, which they've been dying to do. They're huge. The record go is huge, not just in America, but everywhere all around Europe, Australia, they're bigger than they've ever been. Uh, and then that's it. It's over. I mean, for him, for him, it's over. I mean, and a lot of people, I mean, I mean, a lot of people thought it was over for the band, but I mean, that's for the next, that's for the back in black episode. But, um, uh, you know, I, that must have been an interesting. I, I mean, I, I mean, I've read a lot about it, but I mean, that must have been a sort of um, nerve-wracking period of time. I mean, not only do you, you know, have you lost your friend and your bandmate, but you're also like, what the fuck yeah, do we do? Absolutely, you know. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure it was. Um, but you know, that's probably more for the back and black episode. But yeah, it's it's um, it's tra it sucks, man. It's it's uh, it's it's um. Yeah, I mean, you know, tragic is such a, you know, um, cl you know, <clears throat> cliche term, I guess, at this point. But there's really no other way to say it. Uh, it just is, uh, you know, horrible, horrible tragic. Yeah, but to close this out, I just want to meditate on that for a minute. Because if you think about it, it's, I mean, they, they did, leading into next episode, um, they didn't really spend a lot of time uh, with, before they actually drafted Brian Johnson to uh to replace uh bond and uh you know there was uh you can do you can read read various places that the band did consider stopping like they thought about you know ending the band but and and frankly it's the kind of deal where like the analogy of like when you're swimming across a lake it's like you know when you pass the halfway point and you start getting tired, you just go, you just finish. You can't, it's too, you've gone too far to turn back. So you might as well take, take it the yeah. whole way. And that's kind of how I feel like, 
the mindset must have been at that point where they'd been busting their ass all through the 70s uh, and finally there's some fruits of of their labor that they can actually uh, you know they can they can there's opportunities available to them now and real real success on a level they probably never dreamed of and um, you know to reconcile that with uh, losing someone that it, they'd shared their life with for almost an entire decade it must have been like an incredibly like heavy experience but uh i mean i i'm on one hand there's that element to it and then i guess there's the ultimate professionalism of this is what this is our lives like if we don't do this what are we going to do start another band like you know work as like mechanics or something like that you know it's it's that all or nothing like mentality which which um makes the the decision making which might have might seem callous probably was still relatively painful but also necessary i mean what do you what's the alternative you know right yeah yeah um yeah it's interesting that you say like you know what we working on mechanics working on cars or something because i think that's what brian johnson was doing i think he was reupholstering cars when he really? got the call um yep yeah. Have you ever listened to <laughs> the band that they brought him from, that band Jordy? Have you ever checked that out? Yeah, it's great. And it's so funny because uh, there are very few Jordy uh, songs, uh, or Gordy, I'm not sure if you pronounce it even. There are very few Gordy songs where you can recognize the Brian Johnson that you hear on um, the ACDC records. It's a... Um, there are some where you're like, oh yeah, that's clearly the guy, but that, but a lot of it, like especially the singles, like there, you know, they had some minor hits and uh, some singles and stuff. That stuff, it's like it's it's practically un. It's like a different. He uses a different register, um, and the style is so different, like sort of a, a glammy sort of, um, um, you know, glam rock yeah. essentially, um, like old school, like old so, school uh, glam rock, yeah. Yeah, seventies glam, seventies glam, yeah, but definitely on the harder edge of things, like like um, you know. The distinction I always make is there's the song like Sweet was like the Sweet was like the big band of that era. All the singles, Fox on the Run, Baller and Blitz, they didn't write any of those songs. It was written by a songwriting team, and they were all kind of more teeny yeah. bopper. The 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 B sides of all those singles were songs that the Sweet wrote, and they were fucking hard rockers. They were killer songs. Um, uh, like Kronos from Venom will talk about how all the guys like that's what you bought the singles for the B sides because those are the songs the band wrote. And so Gordy were very much their style was kind of closer to like the songs that the sweet sweet actually wrote the harder rockers. So it makes sense that he would that he would eventually become the ACDC guy. But yeah, he was singing in a higher register. It's weird. Um, so it's not you can't tell that it's um, a, a lot for a lot of that stuff, especially the singles. Um, you can't tell that it's him actually. I didn't know that. You know, I, I'm I'm only peripherally yeah. uh, like aware of them. I know that they actually did have a different singer in addition to or afterwards or before Brian Johnson. So, yeah. So I looked up some yeah. videos and there was yeah. some other, other guy like from like old, old school videos. Yeah. Cause I think, I think Jordy or, you know, Gordy, however you pronounce it, I think they still release albums. I think they still have like stuff that's come out in the last. I didn't know. I, yeah, I, I didn't you know. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, there's a will, there's a way Jay, you know, there's people. Yeah. Like, yeah. What, what else are you going to do besides make music? You know, <laughs> Well, that's it for uh, Highway to Hell. Tune in next week, and uh, Jay and I are going to talk about Back in Black. Thanks for listening.
this week's episode of Metal Matters, the official Gimme Metal podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. This show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Metal, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.